the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Thursday, January 19th, 2023. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. That's 602-5080-960. It's coming in, and I was thinking about, you know, usually December of almost every year is a is is a low news month, a slow news month. There's not a lot going on, and it's kind of challenging for people in the news business or talk host radio talk show business, you know, to come up with interesting stories. We didn't have that reprieve this past December any more than we did the last December before that. Everything is at such a a frenzied pace, and it's not slowing down. (laughs) There's a ton going on, whether it's the World Economic Forum throwing stuff at us by the day or whether it's – have you seen this new report out from the Supreme Court? All right, so about, as you know, nine or so months ago – There was this unprecedented leak of the Dobbs decision from the United States Supreme Court. Some clerk, most likely, some clerk who opposed what the majority was saying in the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe versus Wade, Roe versus Wade, some clerk who opposed that majority position and decision likely leaked it to the media so that it could become uh, not only an early campaign issue, but, you know, an early set of talking points to go after conservatives or Republicans or the pro-life movement and to amp up everyone's tensions over that. You know, here we go again with the radical right. So this was unprecedented and it led to other unprecedented things like death threats against Supreme Court justices. Today, it seems like only one only death threats anyone cares about are those against Eric Swalwell, who I wouldn't even trust that he's getting serious death threats because Kevin McCarthy is uh, not 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 seating him on any committees, given his, given his uh, conflict of interest, shall we say, with national security. Eric Swalwell's making the point that he's received death threats because of the kinds of things Kevin McCarthy has been saying. I, you know, OK, we can come back to that in a moment. We can talk about that in a moment. Kevin McCarthy has merely pointed out what the record is with Eric Swalwell. And I don't remember when Democrats were taking Republicans off committees that they were complaining that that was the cause of death threats towards them. But there were substantial and serious death threats against Supreme Court justices, Republican appointed Supreme Court justices, Sam Alito and Brett Kavanaugh in particular, who had to move. Uh, The president of the United States said nothing about it. Nobody said anyone in the administration said anything about it. And an investigation was commenced to try and find the leaker, try to find the person who leaked in the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court. And, you know, it is a massively important and beautiful building. It doesn't have a ton of employees. There can't be a lot of suspects. If you're thinking it's probably one of the clerks, uh, each justice has four clerks. And now you narrow it almost in half. You're looking at about 20 people, likely, most likely, 
20 people, most likely, uh, because you're now looking at those who would have disagreed with the opinion. But they 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 unveiled an entire investigation. They sent it to the um, they 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 had the the Supreme Court have the uh, courts uh, marshals investigate to see who the leaker was. And today they uh, issued their findings. They can't figure it out. They don't know. The entire set of employees at the Supreme Court, if you even wanted to go beyond the 20, isn't going to be more than 100. You're looking at about 100 employees of the United States Supreme Court. And the U.S. Marshals couldn't figure it out. They even had Michael Chertoff. Do you guys remember Michael Chertoff? He was a uh, former uh, head of Department of Homeland Security under Bush and a former uh, 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 judge on uh, U.S. uh, Federal Court of Appeals. They even had him oversee the investigation, and he validated it. Just a shrug of the shoulders. Don't know who did it. This is unacceptable, of course. And not only is it unacceptable, it's unacceptable – in this highly unprecedented leak. But it, again, remember, led to serious and substantial death threats, even the arrest of someone who literally tried to assassinate a Supreme Court justice. Again, got no mention from either then-Speaker Pelosi or or Vice President Kamala Harris or President Biden. If it's not mentioned by them, it didn't happen. Only threats against them get ratcheted up and mentioned and played to a fairly well. Because you have to have only a violent right, not a violent left. The left can't be violent in this country. The left is not violent in this country because the media will not report on the violence of the left, only the violence that comes from the radical or extreme right. In any event, so today the Supreme Court issued its findings, dated January 19th, 2023. They can't find who did it. Which means one of a couple of things. First of all, you have clerks of the court who are lying. You have at least one clerk of the court, at least one employee, probably a clerk, is lying and is lying so credibly that they fooled the investigation of the U.S. court marshals. Not only do you have a clerk who is lying, a clerk or more, it might have been two, not only do you have one or two clerks that are lying, you have clerks that are lying that set off substantial death threats and assassination attempts. And so the question becomes, why do you even investigate and prosecute crimes so that you can arrest the criminal and deter further criminal action? That's the point. There will be no deterrence here. They got away with it. They got away with it. That is the point of having an investigation and hopefully a conclusion to the investigation, and hopefully a sanction or a punishment, so that it won't be repeated. That is the point of criminal deterrence. So, long story concluded. I didn't make it short, but long story concluded. This will happen again. This will happen again. When we talk about, as we did so much yesterday with uh, John Shattuck, the deep state, understand that it operates at the levels of investigation, law enforcement, and evidently now, too, in the federal judiciary. This probably should not have been handled over to the court-martials to investigate in the first place. Probably shouldn't have been. Probably should have been given to the FBI. 
simply because they're a much better forensic investigation team. I don't know that they're less political, but they're a better investigatory team. And this wouldn't have been a hard one, quite frankly, even as politicized as the FBI is, to announce that they got their man or woman. Because after all, the decision has come and gone. The election subsequent to it last November has come and gone. And the leaker could take their just desserts. Probably shouldn't have been given to the marshals. But what we are learning about the marshals, as we, I think, have to conclude about the situation with the Capitol Police, is that there is a serious level of incompetence involving law enforcement in Washington, D.C. If it's not politicized at the FBI, it was incompetent at the Capitol Security Forces, January 6th, 2021. And it's incompetent at the U.S. Supreme Court. That's part not just of a deep state. That's part of this ongoing suck that I keep talking about. Who was I talking with today? Someone. I'm trying to remember who I was talking with today about how <clears throat> how things are just we're just getting used to things not working here anymore. That's one thing. Incompetence is one thing. The politicalization of agencies, departments that should not be political is another. You can fix more rapidly the political issue, I believe. Curious as to what you think. I think you can fix the political issue. You get a president in there who wants to clean house and you get him or her a staff that's serious and wanting to clean house. You put in someone like a Porter Goss at the CIA, like we were talking about yesterday, to try and clean house and stop the leaks. The problem with Donald Trump is when he was president, he didn't have a good enough staff for as much talk as he wanted to drain the swamp. He didn't have a good enough set of secretaries and staff who could do it. It can be done. It can be done, and it can be done especially if there's political bias in these departments and agencies. I've seen it done. I've seen it done at far more ideological agencies like the Department of Education, let us say. Much harder is this issue of incompetence. Much harder is this rising tide of mediocrity, to quote an old Department of Education report, Nation at Risk. Interesting thought, that. 1983 Department of Education report, A Nation at Risk, opens with the words, we are facing a rising tide of mediocrity. Well, that's what we're facing with our government generally, and I fear our country as well, and thus the entire nation as at risk. Easiest song in the world to remember. There's just not that many lyrics. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. 602-508-0960 is the number. 602-508960. Um, I was probably about two or two days, about 48 hours off on um, on my guess as to how fast or how quickly, it's a better phrase, how quickly the document story would fade away. Um, it reached a pretty much fevered pitch yesterday, and we were talking to someone here 
who was uh, speculating that, you know, the reporters in the White House, I think John Shattuck was talking about how the reporters in the White House press pool were probably not really doing the bidding of their higher ups. Um, they were just, you know, ticked off that they were lied to by Karin Jean-Pierre and continually lied to by Karin Jean-Pierre, but that the the story would fade as every uh, story unfriendly to the Democrats or to the left in America does fade, if it appears. It's miraculous that this got the coverage that it did for about a good 10 days. And it seems, uh, like Kaiser says, say, poof, overnight, it's gone. But you know what's not gone? And this is a much less consequential story, and it's just not gone. And it's the story of George Santos, the story of this Republican congressman from Long Island who lied up and down, left and right, every which way you can uh, about his resume and about his background. And uh, the friends at Issues and Insights point out how much actual news coverage this has gotten. It's probably going to get a little bit less in this area, in this news market, in this media market, I guess is the phrase of art just because we're distant from it. But um, let me let me read you how they put this. This is, this is really interesting. I would not have known this. If you weighed the importance of a scandal based on the amount of media coverage generated in recent weeks, you'd think that George Santos is the biggest threat the nation currently faces, faces bigger even than Donald Trump, and much bigger than President Joe Biden, who has hoarded highly classified documents in unsecured locations for the past six years. Who is George Santos, you may ask? He's nobody. He's just one of 435 congressmen elected in the 2022 midterms. He's someone who would normally get zero press attention, even if he had done something incredibly stupid like lie about his background to get elected. But Santos, you see, is a newly elected Republican lawmaker from New York, one of a handful from the state, who won a swing district on Long Island and now serves in a house where the GOP holds a slim majority. For that reason, and that alone, he's become the subject of an absolute media frenzy. An army of reporters follows him wherever he goes. Do you know that? Demanding the answer for his crimes and explain why he won't step down. Reporters are plumbing every angle and looking into every crack and crevice to keep the story on the front page. Get this. On Wednesday, yesterday, yesterday, the New York Times devoted two stories on the main page of its website to Santos. Two stories. Now, get this. This is a handy way of seeing how popular a story is or how it's trending or whatever. A Google search of news items, Google News, you know, a Google search of news, item, news items about Santos that were posted in the past week produced 16.5 million results, and they have a screenshot. It's a fun thing to do, by the way, if you want to see how big a story is. You can do that sort of thing. Easy to do. Six, I do it sometimes. 16.5 million results on George Santos. Here's a tiny sampling of headlines from major news outlets from the past few days. Quote, records show Rep. George Santos's mother wasn't in New York on 9-11. Headline, Long Island GOP leader says he has proof Rep. George Santos admitted to crimes in Brazil. Headline, new details link George Santos to cousin of sanctioned Russian oligarch. Quote, headline, my new co-worker George Santos is a distraction and a danger to democracy. Headline, records show George Santos made questionable payments to vendors, experts say. Okay, so 16.5 million news stories. 
Now let's turn to the Biden classified document story, which we had thought, or at least I had and said, is getting a lot more attention than a Democrat scandal usually gets. Unlike Santos, Biden is a person of some importance, wouldn't you say? The scandal he's currently embroiled in doesn't involve lying about his background, although that's not something Biden is innocent of. It involves the mishandling of highly classified documents, which Biden kept in his position possession for six years. It also involves dubious claims by Biden that he knew nothing about any of it. White House stonewalling, double standards by the FBI, new levels of incompetence by Biden's press secretary and other juicy angles. Furthermore, the story of the president's lapses come just weeks after the same media outlets had fits of apoplexy involving classified documents found at Donald Trump's home. So how is the press treating the Biden story? The way it treats all scandals involving Democrats grudgingly and with extreme indifference. So they did the Google News test. A Google News item search about Biden's classified documents produced just 4,680 results. 4,680 print mentions. It would be interesting to see how much time cable and network news have devoted to these two stories. George Santos, 16.5 million. The Biden document about his resume and nothing more than his resume and biography. That gets 16 and a half million, of course, because he's a Republican. Biden, who's the president with a classified document scandal, gets, again, 4,680. So how can that possibly be? It's, again, going back to what John Shattuck said yesterday, which is so darned interesting. And I didn't fully appreciate until I put this all together, which is what we were watching on cable news when Fox would cut away to the White House press secretary. And we would see people like Ed Henry and the CBS correspondents drilling and grilling Karin Jean-Pierre. That's where it stayed. It stayed for a moment on those television and cable broadcasts. It did not make it into major stories in the evening news, and it did not make it into major stories of the major newspapers. Meanwhile, they write, by the way, we ha- while we haven't done a precise measure, we'd estimate that about half of the news stories about the Biden scandal are attempts by the legacy media to absolve him or explain why the media and Trump classified document cases aren't on the same plane. I know this to be, if not true, very, very, very close to true. Because I've been reading a lot of the editorials lately and um, at the New York Times and the Washington Post. And there are a lot of editorials at the Washington Times – excuse me, Washington Post and New York Times. A passel – good word – a passel of op-eds saying why the document scandals are not the same. Trump's is worse, obviously. There has been a lot of that. So don't get fooled again. Yet again, don't get fooled by the TV and what you see on TV. It didn't really make the news, not as much as George Santos. And now it's off off the table altogether. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. This is a good month to start the year by securing the value of your cash reserves and investments and guarding them against what many are predicting will be a brutal year for the value of the dollar and the stock market. The economic signs are worrisome, which is why I recommend calling the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to safeguard your investments with the stability 
of gold. Gold holds its value when economies fail. And with stocks and bonds crashing as they did last year, gold held its value. Those who converted to gold with Midas Gold Group created a hedge against the ravages of inflation. And now's a good time to consider that again. Trust the precious metals dealer, Seb Gorka, myself, and thousands of you already trust, the Midas Gold Group. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or better yet, give them a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. I bring you some sad news here. Just came across the transom that uh, singer-songwriter, guitarist David Crosby of Crosby, Stills & Nash has uh, passed away. He was uh, 81, I believe. Yes, he was 81. David Crosby of Crosby, Stills & Nash. Um, Interesting life he had. Interesting life story he had. Uh, Big struggle, obviously, with uh, drug abuse. Uh, At times he overcame it. At times he gave pretty good talks on it. Um, Remember one time, uh, one quote we were using for a while was um, his line that uh, he didn't see the light until he saw the law. That is to say, it was an arrest that got him into sobriety which is the case for an awful lot. doesn't have to be, and it isn't for an awful lot, but for an awful lot it is. I want to get to that issue of policing in a moment, and we'll do a little bit more with uh, Sam Stone in our third hour as well. But um, interesting trivia fact. I, did, have I overshared this on the show or at all? Um, one of my, I, I think it's probably pound – this I know I've shared, pound for pound or chord for chord, my favorite song – uh, really, pantheon of all-time favorite songs is uh, Southern Cross, a Crosby, Stills, and Nash song from their album uh, Daylight Again, 1982, maybe. And, uh, boy, I had listened the heck out of that song uh, for years and years and years, and only recently, like six months ago, discovered an interesting fact about that song. Not a factoid, but a fact about that song, which is David Crosby is not on the chorus. Uh, David Crosby is not on the album version of it, the recorded version of it. Um, he was too inebriated to show up. So they brought in someone to uh, sing backup on that song. And that's someone pretty good backup. If you're going to call someone for backup, they got a pretty good one. His name was Art Garfunkel. So Art Garfunkel of Simon and Garfunkel um, or of his own right uh, is actually the voice you hear <coughs> singing David Crosby's part on um, that song, Southern Cross. Um, All right, so um, our best wishes, obviously, to uh, him and his family. It's a long life for someone who lived such a hard life uh, and contributed uh, so much here and there to the culture, but who lived really hard. Long life, 81. Wasn't he also, is he not also the biological father of Melissa Etheridge's child. Do I have that right? Does that sound faintly like it rings a bell? I probably could check it out, and it's probably not all that important to most of us. So uh, let me move on. One of the things I want to talk about, too, um, I heard a lot of talk today on other radio shows about uh, Donald Trump's popularity. A new poll has him up over Ron DeSantis. Um, Okay, nice. Thank you. We'll Give the tribute. We'll be right back.
uh, coming back with a little uh, Van Hank. You want to add that to the rotation? I'm happy to. That's uh, Higher and Higher, or is it just called Higher? Dreams, Dreams, from the 5150 album, if I'm not mistaken, Sammy Hagar or the Red Rock. I never liked the title of that album, 5150. Do you know what it's from? I think it's a police code. It is. In California, it's the code for a mental disturbance call where you are thought to be a harm to yourself or others. I just never liked it. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, that was the name Eddie Van Halen gave to his home studio. I think he just referred to it as 5150. Eh. Anyway, different time. Maybe it was more appropriate in the 80s. Maybe. I don't know. I don't love it. But uh, it's a great song. Good song. Uh, We have a few David Lee Roths. We can have a little Red Rocker. He's doing great. My gosh. Uh, Sammy Hagar. Must be about 75 now, no? Must be. Anyway, okay. Um, Speaking of uh, not that, uh, uh, the World Economic Forum. Why are you – can you please stay clothed, Phil? (laughs) You have attended – why are you taking off your shirt? Lest this turn into – okay. It is a little warm in here. Uh, the World Economic Forum in Davos, we've covered a little bit here and there over the past couple of days, and uh, we'll talk to John Hinderocker about it in the next hour. I wanted to give you this from Hamilton Nolan, no, uh, Hamilton Nolan at The Guardian, because there is something – one of the things that's interesting to me about all that we've seen coming out of the World Economic Forum, and not just you know, the latest point du jour, which is over 1,000 people going there by private jet, over 1,000 private jets as they complain about carbon emissions, not that. What's interesting to me, I mean, that is its own form of hypocrisy, but that's not new. What's interesting to me is in all the um, all the forums that have been taking place at Davos, do you know what you don't see? Any debate whatsoever, none. I have put on as part of partisan or conservative think tanks, I've been uh, a leader of two of them. One, some, and we always do retreats, and we do them, you know, uh, with donors and 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 others in certainly nice areas. Maybe not as nice as Davos, um, but one of the greatest features of all these things have been when we di- when we hosted debates uh, between you know some of our principles and some of the other side's principles because we were confident in our position. We were not afraid of debate. Uh, that's a standard today fairly conservative point, by the way. If you go to the much hated by the left Federalist Society, uh, which is a conservative slash libertarian uh, club of uh, law students and law professors, law clerks and judges, uh, the Federalist Society, so hated by so many progressive institutions in the media. Um, if you go to their major conferences – or any of their law school events, they're almost always debates. They're almost always debates. I founded the Federalist Society at my uh, law school, but I remember the very first Federalist Society meeting I went to was at uh, Harvard Law School. I was in Boston at the time uh, just to see how they do things. And the very first event I went to, their kickoff event at the year, probably um, the flagship organization, Harvard Law School, I think it started at Harvard, uh, that year was a debate on the death penalty between uh, Alan Dershowitz, uh, who was against it, and um, a, a law professor uh, from the University of Utah named Paul Cassell, who went on to become a federal judge and uh, scholar of uh, great import and reputation, a uh, little, little less known then. But um, it was a debate. 
and they weren't afraid of debates and they weren't afraid of debating with the big guns, bringing in the bringing in Alan Dershowitz for a conservative organization to debate on behalf of the liberal position shows you have no fear or concern of your position. Anyway, that's the Federalist Society. It is the truth in a lot of conservative organizations uh, or at least think tanks that we host debates. There is no debate at the World Economic Forum. None. Zero. There is no countervailing views. There is no counterpoise. There is no uh, second guessing. It's a series of panels and speeches with a herd of independent minds, as a sociologist once put it, except the independent minds are all part of the same herd. They're all making variations on the same theme. They're all reaching the same conclusion with different sets of topics, different sets of themes, different sets of ways of getting there. And Al Gore's it's screaming and ranting like a lunatic about rain bombs and hundreds of Hiroshima's going off and a billion people created by a climate crisis, a billion uh, political refugees created by the climate crisis and boiling oceans. I saw an interesting, by the way, on that, uh, Bjorn Lornberg. You guys familiar with his work? He's a bit of a skeptic of, on some of this stuff. He made an interesting observation about uh, these um, climate reactionaries. He said, notice how they used to talk versus how they talk now. With a few exceptions, Al Gore is one of the exceptions, but a f- with, with very few exceptions, most of them talk with projections decades out. They didn't used to do that. They now talk with projections decades out by 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 virtue of the fact of of them not being able to be held accountable or second guessed. Who the heck knows what's going to happen in 2080? Who the heck knows if there's going to be a Mexico or a United States for other reasons in 2080? I mean, God, please let there be both, but who the heck knows what's going to be happening 60 years from now? Or more, and he says, if you look at most of the climate reactionary type uh, prognostications, they're not five years out. They get attention when someone like AOC, who's not really a scientist, really of any kind, talks about twelve years left to save the planet. That, that the, those are those are exceptions. Most of them are talking decades and decades and decades out because who can argue with it, and who can hold them accountable if they're wrong? But don't you find it interesting? I mean, there are. A lot of people who could go there and debate these propositions or at least have second or third thoughts about them, they aren't invited. They're not a feature. It's a bunch of people all with one point of view. And one wonders why all the expense and effort is necessary and needed for all that. I mean, does does Al Gore really need to fly privately to Switzerland to meet John Kerry, who flies privately to Switzerland to uh, rub elbows and talk about how important they are and how much we need to be screaming about how dire the situation is. I, it, it's, it's really – if you just take a step back and think about it, it's an interestingly odd thing. You usually will travel great distances to do something innovative or different. Like, you know, think about the Nobel Prize Committee or other international conferences of great import. How important is it to have a conference like this where everyone – it's not a conference. There's no conferring. 
It's just merely broadcasting all from the same conductor and sheet of music. All right, we'll be right back. If you are concerned with stock market volatility, why Refi has an investment or portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that is not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you choose, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed rate of return up to 10.25%, rate of return. YReFi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. Yes, it was this article in The Guardian I wanted to get to, and we'll talk to Hinderocker about it in a few moments. But Davos and similar conclaves, she writes, can only be understood as performances. They are the stage upon which the masters of the universe act out the dramatic narrative of their own lives. They are exercises in mutual self-affirmation. We are here and we are important. John Kerry said almost exactly that. Speaking of special people like us, what good is a powerful position without a rapt audience to listen to one's pronouncements? Anyone, after all, can be rich, but only a few select can be influencers. And this intoxicating allure of performance influence that lends Davos its underlying absurdity. There is nothing very remarkable about officials who control the world getting together in private to make self-serving decisions. They do it all the time. That's the job. The fatal flaw of the Davos crowd is that they are not satisfied simply with being in control of everything. They also want to convince themselves that they are good or at least to give the public impression that they are being Good. Thus, the typical CEO and presidential interviews and panels of economic and geopolitical predictions, the real things, are leavened with piles of other cultural and do-gooder content meant to convey the idea that the center of this crowd of the world's most cutthroat plutocrats and cold-blooded status seekers lies a heart of gold. If you want evidence of that, go back to John Kerry's interview in 2019. I won't play it for you here now. Many of you have heard it or at least know of it. We've played it before where he is asked at a conference in Iceland why he is campaigning against so many uh, carbon emissions and flies to all these conferences in a private jet, in a private airplane. And he says, because when you're someone like me doing as much good as I do, this is the way you have to travel. I, after all, got the Paris Peace Accords done. That was the conclusion to that sentence. No, their 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 view of self-importance is um, it's through the roof. One might even say it's boiling oceans. John Hinderocker and I'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.